Brother Rob, how are you doing today? Hey, Jim. I'm doing pretty well. Uh, we're about to launch a new year here at the St. Francis de Sales Seminary. Uh, we just finished up a week-long orientation with a group of new seminarians, and everybody had to be back today because it was photo day. So everybody had an individual photo shot, then we had group photos, and um, anyway, it, it's all good, and, and uh, classes start for the seminarians next Monday, so we're going to get going real soon with, with our new year. And we've jumped, we've jumped from 50 to 63 seminarians this year. You so that's, that. that's good news, yeah. We talked about that last week. That was really Did I? Okay. It's yeah. still exciting. I just, but uh, yeah, no, we, we covered that. When is, so today was picture day. Yep. Um, when is uh, caricature day? <laughs> um, I, I don't know if that's been scheduled yet. That would be fun, though, to have like a cartoonist come in. And, uh, yeah, I remember when I lived in Paris, you know, they had certain parts of the city where they'd have these artists. You could pay them to draw a caricature of yourself. So, of course, in my case, you just – the photo itself, I think, is enough. Stop. Just stop right there. That's uh, – <laughs> we're not going down that road. All right. All right. <sighs> um, all right. So, good. Well, and you, what are you doing? Um, it's a, It's a crappy day. Is it? Um, yeah. It's uh, yeah. I just had plumbers coming through, and mm. the plumbers were perfectly fine. It's just a lot of stress and a lot of stuff. Mm. We, um, I don't think I mentioned this before, but uh, the night before we were leaving for Alaska, yeah, um, the water line to our fridge broke, ah, and it poured uh, between the new flooring that we had and the subfloor. Yeah. So that was terrifying the night before yeah. we're flying out to Alaska. Better than the night after you leave, I suppose. No, that's still. true. That's, that's still. a fact. But, uh, but it was new flooring. It was new flooring, too. Well, it was the new flooring that caused it because when they installed uh -oh. the flooring, it pinched the water line. Uh -huh. And then after a couple of months, the water line just uh, trying to work itself loose just broke. Thanks. And it was just, but Jen's like walking through the kitchen and water's pouring up through the seams. And she's uh, like, what'd you spill? I'm like, but <laughs> I couldn't possibly spill this much. <laughs> oh. So we, uh, hopefully we've got all this resolved today. But Yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, so um, before we get going too far, um, and we got a, how many episodes, oh, I got to look this up. How many episodes have we done, Father? Oh, jeez. Probably too many, but I don't, I don't know. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Our fan base adores us, though. Our small but growing fan base. Well, okay. What would it be, do you think? We're coming up on a year pretty soon, aren't we? We are. I think we're at, um, um, I think we're at like somewhere in the 40s. 40s, probably, yeah. And, and surprisingly, this is the first time that this has occurred in almost a year of podcasts, um, but I got to apologize. Why? <laughs> it's like if I got to offer an apology to our listeners. Oh, okay. um, so I was talking about my friend last week, and we were talking about, uh, we were covering the topic of how to bring our youth back and people who've left the church, and I was talking about my friend. Um, and apparently, and I, I, you know, I listened to it, and I, 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 didn't, I didn't think this came across, but uh, we got we got more than a couple of listeners, um, and some of them uh, felt that I was uh, being a little condescending to my friend. Oh. 
that I, I was, I said something along the lines of, um, she and I have been friends for years and I love her dearly and she's no longer Catholic. And it got taken as I love her, even though she's not Catholic anymore, which is really kind of stunning. Um, and oh. certainly not what I meant in any way, shape or form. Oh, okay. So, you just want to clarify that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was like, I heard it from a couple of people. Then I went to men's group and I was talking to the guys in men's group. And and uh, one of them had, had listened to the podcast. He also said, uh, <laughs> I said, is anybody, if anybody's listened to the latest podcast and he piped up and he said, yeah, well, I started it. He goes, you know, it's an hour. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've we're run over a little long. Yeah. We've run a little long. We, we do. I'm like, did I sound condescending? He goes, you really did. I'm like, <laughs> okay. So that was absolutely not what I wanted to do. So if anybody heard that and thought it was being condescending to my friend or you know that I was thinking less of her because she wasn't Catholic, then please, I apologize. That was absolutely not what I was trying to well, get. Well, very kind and virtuous of you to do that. You've set a good example for us all. So that's nice. Oh, not the, not, not, not that's, that's not the reason why you're doing it. I understand, but. No, no, the, the reason is I'm hoping that you're going to apologize once or twice. For you. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll do a podcast that is just all of our apologies at once. I'm doing one podcast, all the things we apologize well, for. All right. So, I mean, I, I'm not going to apologize for sounding like an idiot, but I will apologize <laughs> if it sounds like I'm being condescending and hurtful. So. Yeah. All right, so yep. I got that off the. That's off the list. Off there the we list. go. It's checked mm -hmm. off. Right. And uh, what are we doing today, Father? Well, today we're going to focus on a saint, which we had talked about doing once in a while. Um, the saints are our heroes. There are models uh, for living a good Christ-like life, and so today we're going to focus on a saint that uh, I'm not sure how many of our listeners have ever heard of, or if they've heard of her, they probably don't know a lot about her. Uh, her name is St. Jane Francis de Chantal. And um, the reason why we're focusing on her today is in part because on Saturday, I'm leading a day of recollection or retreat here with all the seminarians. And um, I'm going to kind of tell them something about her life and try to draw some wisdom from her that we can apply to our own lives today. Our patron at the seminary is St. Francis de Sales, but he and St. Jane together founded a religious congregation for women, which is called the Order of the Visitation of Mary. Um, and some of our listeners may be familiar with the Visitation Sisters. They have convents uh, throughout the United States and beyond, and they've gotten involved in education and they care for the poor. So anyway, we thought we might uh, explore her life and some of her writings. Uh, she didn't write any treatises or books the way St. Francis de Sales did, but she wrote a lot of letters of spiritual direction and she also gave a lot of conferences to her sisters, and, um, and these were often written down and transcribed, and so we, we've inherited some of those as well. So we're going to just try to familiarize people with St. Jane Francis de Chantal today. All right. So, <laughs> should and we... She was, so, okay, so her history is, 
I mean, I was looking through it, and I got to tell you, um, as I'm trying to do some research on this so I can sound semi-intelligent, <laughs> um, there's not a lot of stuff out there uh, for public consumption um, about – do you shorten it to St. Jane or St. Jane Francis? We, yeah, or? we could just call her St. Jane um, – That'd be fine. Or St. Jane. Yeah, I don't know. St. Jane, France. She took Jane is is actually uh, the French like female version of John. And and she was born on the feast of a man named St. John, the almoner, who was a kind of an obscure saint from the early seventh century. But she was born on that day. So she so her family named her Jeanne which is uh, Jean, John, with an extra N-E at the end. And then when she got confirmed, she took the name Francis after St. Francis of Assisi, just like Francis de Sales is also named for him. So that's where her two names come from. But, um, yeah, no, you know, to be honest with you, I knew, even though I've been at the seminary three years, and at our, at our seminary chapel, we have two large statues that flank the entrance to the chapel, and one of them is St. Francis de Sales, our patron, and the other is St. Jane Francis de Chantal. And, uh, but I didn't know really much about her at all before this summer. So I, I, this summer I read several biographies of her and um, some of her letters, and so that's how I kind of got up to speed on her. So I'm not surprised that, yeah, there isn't maybe a whole lot uh, that you'll find. There, there's some, I mean, there are some, uh, you know, like articles about her and stuff on the internet, but, but it, yeah. There, there's not, it's not easy to find. It doesn't go real. I mean, it's, it's, it's biographical and it's, you know, yeah. she was married for a while and she right. was married for a while, right? She was, she was. And, and then her husband passed away and. Uh, That's one of the cool things actually about her is that she was um, a married woman and a mother. And so she had several children and then she became a, a, a widow and then she eventually became uh, a nun and, and also founded this religious congregation. So she's somebody that has kind of embraced a number of different vocations in her life. And uh, yeah, so anyway, what I don't know if there were things that you found that kind of um, stood out to you, but, you know, uh, yeah. Well, give us the rundown. Give us okay. a little rundown, a little historical background on, on St. Jane, and okay. um, let's go from there. All right, good. Well, I mean, she's born in 1572 and dies in 1641. So she kind of straddles like the late 16th, early 17th century. And um, this is a time in France when there's a whole counter-reformation movement happening. So uh, you've already had Luther and Calvin and France itself is quite divided between the Calvinists, what we would call Huguenots, and some of them, of course, came over to the United States, and then those loyal to the Church of Rome. So there's there's like lots of tensions in the air, but it's also a time of a lot of religious vitality. Um, so you've got the Council of Trent has just finished, and so there are all these reforms happening within the Catholic Church. Um, people within the Catholic Church are going back to kind of the early sort, early fathers of the church and to trying to discover more about the Bible and, 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 and kind of go back to kind of the pure gospel. Um, bishops and, and the priesthood, all of that is the hierarchy is kind of being renewed and, and reformed. Um, seminaries are starting to be built so that the clergy get better training. Um, and religious orders are starting to kind of reform themselves as well. So, so it's a period of some 
you know, tension and division within Christendom, but it's also spurred a lot of good, vital uh, reform and activity. So both uh, Francis de Sales and Jane, Francis de Chantal, are kind of born into this uh, context. And um, she's born as a noblewoman. Uh, she, her her uh, dad comes from a long line of prominent lawyers. And so the family's quite prosperous. He's a big landowner. Um, her mother, Marguerite, uh, was actually a direct descendant of St. Bernard of Clairvaux. Unfortunately, she dies when Jane is only 18 months old. So she really didn't know her mother. One of the reasons she became very close to our Blessed Mother and wanted to choose as, a, as the name of this new congregation that she helped found, the, the Order of the Visitation of Mary, is because she developed a very close bond with our Blessed Mother and who kind of became this maternal presence in her life. So anyway, she's born into this kind of prominent family. Um, she's got a brother, Andre, who will eventually become an archbishop in France. Um, because her mother dies when she's so young, she forms a really tight bond with her father, uh, who kind of educates her at home. And, um, and then as she gets older, she, um, as a young woman, she's considered very beautiful and refined and, and charming. Uh, she has an older sister and, and uh, serves her older sister as a, as a good aunt to her children. Um, and then eventually she herself marries at the age of 21. She marries uh, a man named Christophe de Raboutin, who happens to be a baron. He's the baron of Chantal. So that's why she's Jane Francis de Chantal. So she marries this man and um, he's kind of a, also of the aristocracy. He's a soldier in the king's service. Um, they actually have a good marriage. She's very happy. Um, they have six pregnancies and four of their children survive infancy. But then a tragedy strikes. Um, she's only been married uh, a few years. At age 28, her husband, uh, Christoph, is killed by a hunting companion in an accident. Uh, a gun accidentally discharges. Uh, it, it just uh, causes a lot of, of shots to go into his body. He actually survives about a week and he realizes that he's not going to survive this. So he prepares his will. He forgives the man who accidentally shot him. Uh, Jane struggles to do that. Kristoff uh, kind of begs her to give forgive, extend forgiveness to this man. And eventually she does that. In fact, eventually she actually becomes the godmother to this other man's uh, kids. But, um, Anyway, it's a tragedy for her. So here she is widowed at age 28 and she takes kind of a private vow of chastity. She decides not to remarry, even though that would be kind of the expectation at the time and something that her family was kind of pressuring her to do. So she experiences this desire to kind of dedicate herself more fully to God alone. And, um, but she's very confused. She's got lots of different kind of expectations and desires, and she's trying to sort through all this. So she's kind of asking God to bring into her life um, a spiritual guide, somebody that can really help her to sort through all these different feelings and conflicting stuff going on in her soul. And, and she has kind of a vision one day when she's out riding on her estate uh, she seems to see someone walking out of the woods, an average uh, man of average height. 
He's robed in a preacher's cassock and beretta, a preacher's outfit. And she hears a voice that seems to say, this is the man beloved of God and among men in whose hands you are to commit your conscience. Well, she keeps, you know, trying to do the best she can on her own. And uh, a couple years later, she's uh, in the city of Dijon. She's listening to some Lenten sermons by a man who climbs up into the pulpit. And when she sees him, she realizes that this is the man who was the object of her vision a couple of years before. And this is St. Francis de Sales. So she's uh, got a front row while he's preaching. He, he was considered a very dynamic, charismatic preacher and kind of a zealous reformer as a bishop. He's the Bishop of Geneva, Switzerland, but he's in exile because the Calvinists controlled Geneva. So he's living in Annecy, France. Um, and, and, and then she has a chance actually to meet him privately while he's giving these Lenten sermons in 1604. And, and from there, uh, they develop a spiritual director, spiritual directee relationship. And, and they don't see each other a whole lot, but they, they correspond a lot. And, um, so St. Francis de Sales is very helpful to Jane. Um, he just gives her wonderful advice. He kind of helps her to, to understand how God is speaking to her. He gives her confidence in her own ability to kind of listen to the voice of God in her life. And so their friendship begins to deepen. And, um, and eventually she leaves home after her children are kind of old enough and, and taken care of. She provides for them. But then she goes off and she um, joins um, St. Francis de Sales in Annecy and, and, uh, and then together they found this religious order, the Order of the Visitation of Mary. Uh, it grows pretty rapidly. Uh, she serves as kind of the superior general of the order. Uh, by the time St. Francis de Sales dies in 1622, they have 13 convents or houses. Uh, by the time she dies, about 20 years later, they have 86 convents. So the thing really took off. And what's kind of cool about this order is um, it was a little bit different than the other orders of the day. Um, it was founded for like women that typically would not be suitable for other religious orders. These might be women who uh, had some you know, form of disability or who were perhaps older uh, than, than what was typical at the time. Um, they weren't cloistered like most religious women. They were able to leave and go out and do charitable work. Uh, they didn't take solemn vows. They just took simple vows and they wore a more simple uh, habit or clothing, of the clothing of the poor rather than a religious habit. Um, their rule of life would be rather gentle compared to the more severe rule of life of the established orders. And again, this was partially taken into consideration that the peop the women coming to this order might be elderly, more elderly anyway. They might have various you know, struggles. So um, anyway, it's an order that continues to this day and uh, has done a lot of good charitable work um, throughout the centuries that, that it's existed. So she... Uh, she actually had another, after St. Francis de Sales dies, she has another spiritual director who I think, you know, many people have heard of, and it's St. Vincent de Paul. 
Uh, we would know of him more in this country because of the St. Vincent de Paul Society. But well, how but, is she possibly going to fail with these kind of? Uh, I know. Spiritual directors? I, isn't that awesome? I mean, I know to have two canonized saints as your spiritual directors that that certainly uh, you know puts you on good good footing. And I mean, I've always said good things about my spiritual director, <laughs> but. <laughs> Well, he might be canonized someday. You never, you never know. You never know that you might be canonized someday. Well, you never know. It could happen anyway. It's possible. I, I bet Francis de Sales and Saint Vin, and Vincent de Paul didn't probably figure they were going to be canonized. So, yeah. well, that's probably true. They probably didn't. Yeah, they probably weren't thinking that. that <laughs> What's kind of cool is is these two saints who are such good friends, Francis de Sales and Jane Francis de Chantal. They're buried right next to each other in the same church. Uh, it's the Church of the Visitation in Annecy, France. And uh, so she's canonized. She's beatified in 1751, canonized a little bit later in 1767. We just celebrated her feast day, which was August uh, 12th. And so anyway, yeah, I think her, her life is pretty fascinating. And um, she's somebody that uh, had a lot of hard knocks. And, and we thought we'd talk about that, too. But she... Um, she managed to grow in great holiness, partly and be, partly because of the suffering that she endured. And um, see, and that's the part that I was looking for. Yeah, and 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 wasn't really addressed in any of the public documents. And I, I only had a couple of days to really yeah. to dive into this. But yeah, yeah. Um, I'm hoping you got this down since you're teaching this to your seminarians. Well, yeah, you know, again, I didn't, I would have known this a couple months ago, but I've been able to kind of glean some things. And I mean, for one thing, she lost a lot of loved ones in her life. I mean, I already mentioned that her mother, Marguerite, died when she was only 18 months old. Right. Um, and of course, she died, her uh, husband, Christoph, dies after just a few years of marriage. So those are two people. But also, of her four kids, I mean, she only um, she outlives every, she outlived almost everybody that she loved. Let's put it that way. I mean, um, her her daughter Charlotte would die at the age of eight. Uh, another daughter, Mary Aimé, uh, was widowed herself early in life, and then after giving birth to a stillborn child, she dies. Uh, she did receive the visitation habit on her deathbed, but nonetheless, she loses that daughter. And then her only son and her eldest child, um, whose name is Cels Benin, it's kind of a funny name, but um, he got married, but at the age of 31, he dies of multiple stab wounds suffered in a battle when he's fighting the English. So only her daughter, um, Francoise, actually lives, outlives uh, mom. So she loses all these family members. And then uh, probably the most tra traumatic death, actually, for her was that of St. Francis de Sales. I mean, they forged a very, very strong and intimate uh, friendship, a spiritual friendship, but nonetheless, a friendship, you know, that built on this this human in closeness. You know, they were they were both very dedicated to God and they they uh, definitely lived their spiritual friendship uh, oriented towards God. But. But it was a, it was a real human friendship, and and so when he dies, uh, you know, she actually said that uh, she had never felt such an intense grief, or that her spirit had never received such a heavy blow. So this was a, a huge loss to her. And then a few years after that, uh, in the course of just one calendar year, she lost three of her first companions, three of the very first sisters that she founded the order with. 
So anyway, she experienced a lot of people dying in her life. You know, one of the things I didn't mention is after her husband dies, um, her father-in-law, so Christoph's father, basically said to her, if you don't come and live with me and bring your children also, I'm going to disinherit you. And he was an old man at that point. He was also very cruel to her. He had a housekeeper that was also just really mean-spirited. And the two of them, the father-in-law and the housekeeper, had several children out of wedlock. So Jane lives under their roof for like seven years, and she puts up for all those years with their really horrible treatment of her. And yet she maintains a cheerfulness. She educates not only her own children, but even their brood, these other kids that, that her father that the father-in-law and the housekeeper had. So there's that kind of uh, experience, uh, which was hard for her. And then she also had a lot of spiritual difficulties. Uh, she had, over the course of years, she had a lot of spiritual trials where she felt often doubts about her faith. She felt a lot of temptation, um, spiritual darkness. She, she often didn't feel like God was present in her life. So, you know, as I was reading some of her letters and, and the transcriptions of some of the conferences that she gave, uh, it was clear that she's somebody that uh, really suffered a lot spiritually as well. And yet, in the midst of all that, she found a certain peace in knowing that God was permitting all this for her own growth and holiness, um, and that uh, she was still doing the will of God. So she, she, uh, you know, kind of wasn't too reliant on feelings or spiritual delights in her soul. She just knew that God loved her and that she was doing the will of God, even if she often didn't feel him present. And I, I don't know, I just, I, I associate her a little bit with St. Teresa of Calcutta, Mother Teresa, who we know had a very prolonged dark night in her own life, you know, and yet right. lived a life of great sanctity and holiness. So I think, you know, that's important because I think all of us can relate to that. I mean, if we live long enough, we lose any number of loved ones in our life. Some of the, some of them being, you know, real blows to our heart. Um, Sometimes we have to put up with people in our life that are difficult and obnoxious and we try to love them well and maintain, you know, a spirit of charity and cheerfulness and kindness. Um, we all at times struggle in our prayer or just with issues of, of our faith, you know, doubts. Where is God in all, my, in all my own suffering? You know, what? how is his providence being played out? So I think she's a saint for all of us in that sense that we can relate She's, she's really kind of an ordinary person that has a lot of the same struggles and sufferings that we all do. Well, and, you know, in some uh, some instances to far greater. I love the fact that she's the patron saint of the forgotten. I yeah. Mean, that's, uh, that, that's a, that's a, she should be like, there should, she should get a lot more PR. I, know. I mean, how many people are feeling forgotten? Right. Don't even realize that they've got a, they've got a patron saint that's um, looking yeah. out for them. And, exactly. and, and everything that you've described, you know, it's, it's, it sounds, you know, I can, I get the connection for her. Yeah. Her empathy for the forgotten people. Right. Um, right. The, um, the the one thing that I found, which I thought was really interesting, because there's a lot of saints who um, aren't really well received in their own time or thought of as cranky. Yeah, 
if if I'm you know if I become a saint, they're, they're going to be like, he was really cranky in his life. And You'll be the patron saint of of cranky people. So. No, I think I'll be the patron saint. I decided a long time ago that if I, if I became a declared saint, I wanted to be the patron saint of irony. Um, <laughs> I thought that would make the most yeah, sense. That would make. But sense. I can see people, t- you know, people talking about the life of Jim Fellows, and it's like. So then he came across uh, Saint Robert Kroll, who couldn't get him to be less cranky, but uh, done a lot of stuff. Um, but the 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 point that I'm trying to get to is is that um, everything that I read, she was like really well liked in her time, mm-hmm. and she would go to go and speak in front of crowds, and and she would be walking up to the the podium or the lectern, and people would. Uh, like just break into huge applause and give her an ovation. And her response was like, I, I, they, they don't know. They must, they don't know who I am. I don't know why they're doing this. They, they're mistaken. Yeah. But they yeah. all knew about her and they loved her before yeah. she even showed up. Yeah. Yeah. She was like a magnet to people. And, and uh, yeah. And the fact that she felt, you know, kind of embarrassed or humbled by that is another sign of her sanctity that, you know, she was very aware of her own internal struggles and weaknesses. And so, yeah, she found it kind of difficult to, to uh, receive people's applause and admiration. But, yeah, there was something I think, you know, very, I mean, the fact that she was a noble woman, she would have already been kind of known in French circles, certain French circles and, and society. And so when she became a sister then, um, and kind of left the world, as it were. Um, you know, people I think admired. I mean, some people thought she was crazy, of course, and that she should uh, remain uh, within that that you know high society uh, circle. But a lot of people I think admired the radical choice that she made, and and there was a real purification that she had to go through. Um, through and, and that's again part of what suffering does for us. It kind of. Uh, brings us to the essentials and helps us realize what's really important in life. And right. so, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but is, she was the, So the, she and uh, St. Francis started the congregation, the visitation. Right. Right. Correct? Yep. Is that still going on today? Are there still houses today? Of, of, um, yep. Oh yeah. yeah. I've met some visitation nuns myself. In fact, uh, I did my undergrad studies at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., and, and literally right next door to Georgetown University is uh, a visitation school. And, um, and there's a convent there of sisters. Um, so, and, and so, yeah, no, they're, they're definitely still around. I don't know how they're doing vocationally. I think it's, they may be one of these kind of traditional orders that uh, today is not attracting that many vocations, but I think there's still a lot of sisters around and, and I think they may be doing okay, especially in some of, uh, some other countries. Um, that's often the case today that in the West, uh, these longstanding women's religious communities kind of struggle to attract, uh, new vocations, but then because of their presence in places like Africa or South America or Asia, mm-hmm. they're able to uh, maintain, you know, a presence. So I did, I, I, it isn't fresh in my mind, but I know at some point this summer, I looked up kind of the order and uh, yeah, there's still quite a few visitation convents around and, and they're often um, attached to schools like, like Georgetown visitation. So. Is there, is there a tie in with the Jesuits? That I'm missing, that I'm not. Uh, um, 
patently well, obvious and I'm just too stupid to pick up on? No, not really. I mean, uh, St. Saint, Saint Ignatius was born in 1491, dies in 1556. So he dies not long before uh, Jane and Francis de Sales come on the scene. So they're, they're kind of part of that same counter-reformation movement. And Francis de Sales actually talks about um, St. Ignatius of Loyola and some of his writings. And so, I mean, there's a connection there kind of tangentially, but, um, but they're not, yeah, they're, they're different charisms. I mean, really this order of the visitation that was founded, it was meant to be, well, first of all, women, not men. So, and then right. that's a little bit different too. Usually women's orders at this time would have been female offshoots or branches of men's religious orders. Whereas, this order of the visitation is new and it's founded just for women. It's not like it's being uh, taken from a, a male branch of the order. So it's meant to be only for women. And then it's also, as I said, meant to be for women who are perhaps unfit for or not able to live in the other traditional women's orders and congregations. So women that are perhaps too old for these other convents or have some, you know, just weaknesses or disabilities um, and and their life is not going to be as austere. They're not going to be cloistered. At, at this time, there were not really a lot of um, active apostolic women's communities like you'd find later. Um, right. But these these visitation sisters, the whole point was that they they certainly had a life of prayer together, but they were allowed to go out and to minister to people, like to the poor and to the sick. Jane actually did a lot of that in her own life. When she was managing, her, her husband, Christoph, before he died, he was gone a lot on campaigns for the king. And so Jane kind of managed the estate. And part of what she did was a lot of charitable activities. So in addition to maintaining her own household and educating her own children, she would actually literally go around and provide, you know, funds for the poor and do soup kitchen stuff. And so she was also, that's one of the reasons why she was, as you said, acclaimed and beloved is people just admired the fact that she, you know, as a, as a wealthy noble woman, she really dedicated herself to the poor. So that was another outreach or another focus of this new order that of nuns that they founded is that they would care for the poor. Um, yeah. So, Well, um, yeah, I've enjoyed. Uh, um, uh, you've you've added uh, flesh to the story, which has been nice <clears throat> to get a better sense of who she is. We, there are so many saints that we have that, uh, oh, like, we don't even know their names, and and then, but somehow they've lived these profound lives, and we just don't know that much about them. And I would I would put uh, Saint Jane uh, in that category up until today. And it's a shame. You know, I'm I'm sorry, Jim. I just had lost a little bit of what you were saying there. Uh, after I after I was I just talking on. about how awesome you were, and <laughs> you just you know, you're such a great guy. Well, I'm glad um, I didn't hear that. Then, like Jane, I would have been very embarrassed to hear that. Now, now, now I know that when an incoming call comes on my on my cell phone, the pod bean turns off somehow. So anyway, oh, all right. but I don't know after I was blabbing about her, tell me what you said. 
um, no, I just, I think that I was, well, what I had said before, and I'll just repeat it for everybody else who's actually listening, um, <laughs> that, uh, that we have so many saints that are recognized saints within the church um, who have lived these incredibly profound lives, and we don't know nearly enough about them. Yeah. And, and, and I would have put uh, St. Jane in this category. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I wish I wish she was uh, better known because she's got a fascinating story. And the fact that she, you know, lived all these different vocations. I mean, married women can relate to her. And yeah. the fact that she suffered as much as she did, you know, people who are undergoing great suffering can find wisdom and comfort, you know, in her. And one of the things we wanted to highlight today, too, is just this deep friendship that she had with Francis de Sales. And, you know, I, I know older Jesuits tell me that when they were going like through religious life, there was a deep suspicion of what came to be known as PFs, particular friendships, like the idea that you might get close to somebody uh, in your religious order was sort of seen as risky or dangerous or cliquish or something. And, and sure. so there was a real fear of, you know, like Jesuits, for example, getting um, to be good friends with other Jesuits. And, and I think men in general today, in our culture at least, you know, they do struggle a lot to develop good friendships with both other men and with women that are, that are healthy and that are, you know, spiritual. And so I think one of the things that I really admire about the relationship between Jane and Francis de Sales is that while it's, it's completely chaste and it's like rooted in God and all of it was oriented towards God, it's still a real human warm friendship. And they, I mean, I think when you, when you look at some of the language in their letters and, and so forth, I mean, it's pretty clear that they felt a real tenderness and warmth for each other. And so, you know, um, what's kind of neat is to know that we can feel that way. We can take delight in other people and, and still have that human experience of, you know, even romantic love, I would call it, to have that kind of brought into our spiritual life and and it can be purified. It has to be purified and elevated, of course, otherwise it gets too clingy or possessive or we can easily manipulate people. But, you know, but it isn't like we have to be afraid of love. Uh, right. it's, you know, it's, I think that's really important that, that the saints, including nuns and priests and bishops, they, they could have deep human loves, but but that God could could kind of purify those loves and keep them always focused on the kingdom of God. And and so that to me is a, they're a real model, I guess is what I'm saying for us today, when we're, when we're trying to learn how to love other people well. And I think about myself as a priest who is, you know, I have a vow of celibacy and I'm living, trying to live a chaste life as best I can. You know, it's just comforting to know that that doesn't mean I have to somehow be a cold fish, that I have to somehow run away from, you know, any first signs of uh, intimacy or delight. It's just that I have to keep saying, Lord, this good human friendship, it's it's meant to be lived in you and it's meant to be lived for you. And um, so I think anyway, they're, they're, they're an example of a real healthy relationship between a man and a woman, which may have some erotic like element to it, but is not, is not, uh, lived in a, in an erotic way, but it's, 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 it's kind of, um, brought into this relationship that both of them had a, a deep love relationship with Jesus and with 
the father, you know? So it's, yeah, I think it's a good lesson for us. All right. Do you think there was an erratic aspect to the relationship? Well, you know, there could be. I do. I do. I mean, I think we, we talk traditionally about these four kind of different types of love. So there's like affection. The Greeks had this all kind of categorized out, you know, like they'd call it storge, which is kind of the love, let's say, between, you know, maybe uh, parent and child or between, let's say, maybe guys in the army or something like that. There's an affection that we can have for somebody. And then there's uh, philia, which is like friendship love like you know maybe the friendship we might have with uh yeah just think about who your best friends might be in your life and then there's eros which is more that erotic love that romantic love that's more characteristic of a of a married couple and then you have caritas or um agape which is like charity right we're all called to live a life of charity but i think in in reality or in our lived experience these different types of love they kind of lead into each other and so i think what i from what i've read and from what i can detect i think francis de sales and jane francis de chantal they certainly had um a deep spiritual friendship but i think it was tinged also with sort of that some of that glow of of maybe eros you know yeah but but they they didn't act on it but they had to kind of like uh they i'm sure they both had to deal with that you know and so yeah wasn't a bad thing no no yeah all right I just love the fact that, like, the reason that she's a saint is because of, like, um, she was nice to people. She accepted a lot of people that weren't accepted by other people. Right. You know, it's all, it's all these little virtues that they talk about when dealing with her. And, yep. and that's what brought her to sainthood, which makes makes gives me great hope. <laughs> you know and what I'm Yes. <laughs> like, we just look at these saints and we see, like, these... We 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 have saints that uh, have done these incredible and amazing uh, things, and um, and then we got these saints that uh, just love people really well. Right, and then right. They became the same because of that. I well, think that's awesome. and this is really characteristic of what we call now today Salesian spirituality after Francis de Sales and and Jane as well. That um, yeah, they they're really big on these little virtues. You know they. They are not into huge heroic uh, and dramatic things, but they they basically say that in the ordinary circumstances of everyday life, we can find opportunities to practice these little virtues like humility and gentleness and kindness or cheerfulness. And, and, you know, we don't have to, like, take on huge penances um, and, you know, uh, uh, violently assault our senses and our bodies and all that, you know, basically life serves up every day, little opportunities for small sacrifices, small mortifications. It can be just trying to love well that, uh, you know, dummy that we work with or the people that pushes all our buttons or just putting up with, you know, um, the small, uh, you know, inconveniences that we face every day. An annoying co-host. Yes, the annoying co-host that I am. Exactly. You're you're growing in virtue by putting up with me. Oh, you, oh, you meant yourself. No, I sure. meant myself. No, no, no. I think, I think on that note, I think we're going to move yeah. along. Cause I know. Cause I, it's I almost don't want to annoy Pat out. anymore. No, we um, shouldn't. We shouldn't. But we want to alert our, our listeners to something cool that we're going to be doing soon. Right. What is it? Yes. That's why I wanted to make sure that we had time for this. Um, on uh, September 8th, right? It's September 8th. Correct. Birth of Mary. The birth of Mary. Um, Father Rob and I are going to be going through uh, the 33 days of consecration to the Blessed Mother. 
Uh, we're going to be using the book by Father Michael E. Gately called mm-hmm. 33 Days to Morning Glory, um, a do-it-yourself retreat in preparation for Marian consecration. The, um, the, you, can, you, can, you can buy paper copies of the book, and you can also get it on Kindle and, or whatever, however you prefer to read it. But we, we want to open this up. We're going we're gonna to start this up on the 8th, and then we're going to be walking through it together, and we're going to be sharing it with our, our podcast family. And, and, you know, the, the, the father and I both um, took uh, just, uh, we got a lot of value out of the consecration to St. Joseph. Mm-hmm. And that was our first episode. That's the first thing that we talked about. Mm-hmm. And I think that as a result of that, I know of at least uh, at least a dozen or so people that, that, that went through the consecration uh, after we did and after listening yeah. to our podcast. Yeah. So we kind of like to do that with uh, with all of you, mm-hmm. if, or any of you. It's you don't have to, but it would be nice. And we just wanted to give you a heads up that, that we've we've got the book, and on the eighth we're going to start doing the thirty three days and mm-hmm. and move forward. Yep. No, I and think- that's our product. That's stuff that we like. Thirty three days of morning glory. A do it yourself retreat. Yeah. Um, by Father Michael E. Gately. And Father, you've read this book before, right? I have. I actually went through it uh, a few years ago, but uh, I'm happy to do it again. I know uh, a lot of people that have done it and found it very fruitful. And one of the, what's kind of neat about it, so there's a, a, some of our listeners may be familiar with a traditional Marian consecration by uh, St. Louis de Montfort. And, uh, and this is a little different in that um, Father Gately draws on the wisdom of St. Maximilian Colby and Mother Teresa and St. John Paul II. There may be one more that I'm missing. But uh, anyway, he kind of incorporates uh, some of the wisdom of these modern saints. And I've known any number of people that have, have used the resource also and really uh, got a lot out of it. So I think it'll be All good. right, let's pray. Let's not uh, take off Pat anymore. Let's, we we want to keep our <laughs> listeners around. That's let's right. keep it under two hours today, please. Excellent, excellent. All right, well, let's begin. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen. So, Heavenly Father, we're grateful for having had this opportunity to examine and explore the life of one of your beautiful saints, and we ask that we might um, be able to look at St. Jane as a model for ourselves. Uh, St. Jane, we ask you to pray for us and to help us to grow in holiness and virtue. Um, We lift up in prayer any of our listeners that may be suffering at this time in any particular way. We remember the people of Afghanistan and Lebanon, especially uh, at this time as well. And I ask that the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit uh, descend upon our listeners and remain with them forever. Amen. Amen. All right, James. Thank you much. Thank you. Where is our... There we go. <laughs> there Sorry. This is going to be a really smooth transition. Oh. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. Um, we really do appreciate all you guys listening. And, um, feel free to write us at uh, mail at tourgather.com or come onto our Facebook page. You guys take care. Have a great Have a week, week, everybody.